Welcome, everybody. We are back on the Buzz and Economic Development Podcast. I'm here with your host, Bernie Maybank. Bernie, what say you since we've last met in this wonderful place? It feels almost like fall outside. It, it feels wonderful. It does. It feels so beautiful out and it uh, just makes you want to be outdoors. Um, you know, it feels like things Can we get are... this damn program over so we can get out there? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Dee Dee, we're, we're going to introduce, introduce Dee Dee Caldwell right away so we can get the program over and get out of here, back into the outside. Um, Dee Dee Caldwell, we really appreciate you being here. Dee Dee is the founding principal at Global Location Strategies. And Dee Dee, we're going to talk a little bit about what you do because uh, in economic development, site selection, it can be a daunting process. A lot of economic developers um, out there, they want to get good folks in the door and, and know that it can be a lengthy process. We're gonna talk a little bit about your history and what you're doing and how you're using technology to, to uh, shorten that process. But to get us started, just tell us a little bit about your background and about global location strategies, who you are as a company. Great. Hi, it's so good to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me on. So Global Location Strategies is a full service site selection incentive negotiation firm based in Greenville, South Carolina. We were originally a part of the floor organization and have a history that dates back to the early 1970s. And our, um, our purpose is to match companies with communities for uh, mutual sustainable prosperity. Um, and we focus primarily on capital intensive, resource intensive, and labor intensive manufacturing projects. So that's really our core business. And when you talk about sustainability, and, and we were talking a little bit off camera about how the different industries may change. Um, but when you're, you're talking about sustainability, what does that look like now versus 10 or 15 years ago? Yeah, so we chose that word sustainability um, very, very careful and it, it, carefully, and it means different things to different people. But what we really mean is that it's a, a union between a company and a community that can continue for generations to come. Because a lot of these decisions that are made, particularly for large manufacturing projects, are not just going to affect the immediate economy, but are going to affect generations down the line. So the project needs to be sustainable in that it needs to be economically viable. It also needs to be able to uh, attract the right type of employment and then give back to the community. And then we want to make sure that any of the environmental impact on the community are such that they can manage those so that it doesn't cause long-term problems. And who is we? Who, who do you work with there? Um, well, we work for, uh, for corporations of all sizes. I would say that because now, we- I mean, who, who, do you, who are your partners, so to speak? In the site selection side or- Right, at site selection side. Um, well, we perform all of the site selection and incentive negotiations, but certainly we work- Who is we? Who is we? Global Location Strategies. So we are a, uh, a consulting firm. We're uh, about 11, 12 people, mainly based here in, in Greenville, South Carolina. Right. We have a couple of consultants that work remotely and we come from all different backgrounds. So we have civil engineers, we have uh, uh, people that have worked in real estate development, have worked in construction. I myself uh, am a, a, a recovering architect. Um, and then I went back to USC and got my international MBA, and that's when I got involved in, in, in site selection. Okay. And I see you're the board chair of the Site Selectors Guild, which is very impressive. Will you tell, tell our audience about it? 
Yes, I was previously board chair. Okay. Um, now, and I served on the board for many years. Now I lead a task force for the Site Selectors Guild that is the Site Readiness Initiative. So looking at ways that we can potentially bring a national standard for site readiness um, so that we as site selectors and corporations and real estate brokers can understand what it means when a site says that they are investment ready or shovel ready. Yeah, we had um, we did uh, seminars with the Department of Commerce pre-pandemic every year, and we would always have site readiness on there. And I'd ask that exact question: what What does that mean? And there was no definition of it. Right. Yeah. Everybody has their own definition. So, um, but the Site Selectors Guild is a an organization that consists of members that really span the globe, and these are the leaders in site selection um, from all different geographies or they represent different industries. Um, there are, I think, around 57 members now, and it's been around for a little over 10 years. So, Dee Dee, what are some of the trends you're seeing now, and how has that, the site selection process, changed over the last few years? Remember, we have a lot of folks who are interested in economic development listening to this podcast, and some of these economic development offices, there are a lot of young folks and there are a lot of changes, especially around COVID. So what are, what's some advice, what are the trends that you're seeing that they should be looking out for? Well, you know, I have the benefit of being able to go back and look at files as early as the 1970s. And, and I think it's one of the things that's actually frustrating with me, if there's a, for, with, for me, is that there are a lot of things that haven't changed. I mean, we're still doing things in a similar fashion. We've just used technologies in some ways to speed up the process or be more efficient. Um, one of the things that I see changing or has changed particularly since COVID is that we are doing a lot more remotely. Um, so Global Location Strategies, you started doing virtual site visits in about 2012 using GoToMeeting and Google Earth, and it was very primitive at the time, but it was it gave us the ability to visit sites and communities without actually getting on a plane and flying there and, and uh, um, schlepping around our bags and that sort of thing. And that technology has only improved and we've been able to rely on that a lot more. And what that has meant for us is a couple of things. There were unintended benefits. One of them was that we were able to consider more sites at that level of the process than we previously would have for the same amount of money and the same amount of time. So that gives more sites and communities the opportunity to participate. And it also gives our, uh, our clients the opportunity to um, participate in the site selection process at a much earlier stage. So whereas they typically would not have gotten on a plane and flown to visit that site early in the process, it would typically have just been consultants at that point, um, they do find it very beneficial for them to participate in these virtual tours. And they can remain anonymous. They can be a passive participant, which means they're just listening. They can be an active participant and insert their own questions. Or I even have some clients that really like to lead that. So I just serve more or less as a moderator. So what that means for economic development organizations is that you know your, your first opportunity to make a good impression on that company comes much earlier in the stage. So you really need to be on your game. What are some of the most common mistakes companies that try to do site selection either themselves or through somebody who calls themselves a site selection consultant but really really is not? And, and my favorite example is a, a large company, but they had a $2 million water impact fee that they didn't have a clue was coming. What, uh, what examples do you have? Could you give us any? Well, you know, certainly I think that they are 
um, maybe a little bit naive about how much time it really takes. Um, and so if you get someone that has a day job and they're trying to do site selection in their, you know, in their off hours, um, it's really just, it's a daunting task. Um, typically don't have a real strong methodology, don't have the networks to be able to gather the information really quick, quickly, and then don't have the analytical tools that they need in order to uh, help them find the best, the optimal location. Um, I, one of the things I think happens quite often is that personal bias, biases end up coming into play too much in the decision. And so we've seen situations where a company locates wherever the, you know, the CEO has a child that's going to school or where they can put their, their boat in a, in a, in a dock so that they can out, get out to the salt water. Um, so those biases might be great from a personal standpoint, but there does, that doesn't mean that that's the most uh, optimal okay. place for you to be successful. The New York Times had an article a solid 10, 12 years ago on that exact subject, and the photograph that accompanied it was a CEO at Kiowa. <laughs> we like that. Um, so you, did, you didn't know that CEO, did you? <laughs> Unfortunately not. <laughs> well, you know, that leads us into the technology aspect too, Didi. Um, I, I know that you and your company have an app development that, that you're using, and when you talked about economic developers and, and how basically people are starting to view their sites earlier. How do people get ready? What should they be doing? And, you know, a lot of these offices, what do they need technologically to compete? Well, they certainly have to have the digital marketing. So drone videos, um, they need to have a great website. They need to be able to show different types of layouts for their sites. But I mean, at this, this period of time, I mean, I've been doing this 23 years and the activity level that I am seeing right now is like nothing I have ever experienced. We are extremely busy um, and I talk to my colleagues and they are also extremely busy. And I mean, my colleagues in the site selection industry, but also the economic developers. What that means is that a lot of sites are being snapped up and the inventory is really, really low. So those communities that really focus on getting their sites ready. So that, that's everything from identifying the site, to doing the, the studies, making sure that you have the proper zoning, the right control, um, extending the utilities, or at the very least having a plan and funding and permitting in order to be able to extend the utilities. Those are gonna be the ones that are gonna be chosen as uh, you know, the location for these, these new investments. Do you often see, or in your walk, Bernie, you gave that one horrible example where folks commit and then they are just in a hole because they haven't properly planned. Yeah, yes, and, and you see sometimes it's a result of actions by local government, you know, anti-growth, anti-traffic, you know, it, it, it does happen, no question about it. What, what are some of the hottest sectors right now? I, I know a year or two goes agribiz. What are, what are some of the hottest sectors right now? Yeah, agribusiness, food, cold storage, those are definitely hot sectors. Um, anything associated with the electric vehicle supply chain, so all the way from lithium processing to the components that go into batteries, to assembly of the batteries themselves, to assembly of the electric vehicles, these are all very hot sectors. I mean, obviously, biotech and pharma, because of the focus on bringing some of the, the pharmaceutical manufacturing, as well as the reagents um, back to this back to this country for a, you know, from a national security standpoint. Those are also things that are happening. And then I would put, you know, there's a broad category that I would just call green technologies. 
So just about all of the projects that we work on fall into one of three categories. They're either traditional products that are being made with traditional methods, but these companies are trying to green up their process as much as possible by reducing their carbon footprint. So I would put toilet paper manufacturing in that category. That's a, that's a sector that we do a lot of work in. Um, the other category is making traditional products with uh, brand new, more environmentally friendly methods. So we represented Nacero, which is a startup company um, that has licensed a technology that converts natural gas into gasoline. And the benefits of that is if you if you do it, if you have gasoline made from natural gas, it does not have a lot of the waste products and the emissions associated with refining crude oil. And then the gasoline also burns much cleaner at the tailpipe because, because it has lower, it doesn't have any sulfur in it. Um, so we worked with them on a $7 billion project that's going to West Texas in the Permian. Um, so that's a traditional product being made with new methods. And then you have new products that are being made with completely, completely new, more envi environmentally um, methods, and they are replacement products. So I put electric vehicles in that category for sure. There's also some battery technology out there that is, um, that is uh, cutting edge that will can potentially re uh, replace uh, uh, existing battery technology. And then there's some, you know, we worked with Kairos, which is a nuclear um, electric generation company or technology company, and they have a molten salt technology that is under development. It'll take a decade or so to get it moving, but we put a engineering and, and research and development facility in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, due to the proximity to Sandia Labs, and then also their first nuclear testing facility at Oak Ridge in Tennessee. And let, let me ask you, we're running out of time. So you have a national practice. How does South Carolina fit in? Uh, you know, sometimes it seems like we're right on the edge, and other times it seems like we're lagging. Where, where do we fit in today? South Carolina, you know, I went back and looked from 2016 to 2020, South Carolina was third in the number of project announcements, cross-border investments anyway, um, in manufacturing. Third, even though we're, I think, 23rd in, in terms of population. Right. So we are doing very, very well in manufacturing. We are doing less well in some of the other industries like, uh, you know, IT and office. Um, I think one of the things, we've been a victim of our own success. So we have... Um, we're, we're site poor. We really don't have a lot of good, strong industrial sites at this point. So I'd really like to see us invest in more in that. And the other thing that I find is very challenging with South Carolina is the property tax structure. Um, right. Act 388 was a disaster and it has severely penalized businesses in the state. And it makes it almost impossible to be competitive unless you do a fee and lieu up and you have to be pretty aggressive on that fee and lieu. And that's coming right. under fire politically, but it's the only way to be competitive. Right. Post and Courier did a story based on good jobs, uh, good jobs first, said Berkeley County schools were given away more property taxes than any other school district in the country. Well, the reason being they have the highest property taxes. So naturally, when they give incentives, it's going to be a very high number. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I haven't met a business yet that needed to send a, a kid to school. Right. It's usually the parents that need to send their kid to school. And I'm not saying that businesses shouldn't pay, pull their fair share. Um, but I think that we do have a little bit of a mismatch there in terms of the services that are demanded and who who's paying the bill. Right. Exactly. 
All right. Well, tell us as we wind up more about your technology side. Who are your who are your clients, and and what services do you provide? So we have two technology platforms. One of them is called Lasso, and it is a request for information collabor collaborative tool. And that's what we use and other site selectors and um, corporate do-it-yourselfers can use in order to gather information about the sites and communities that they're considering. Um, that platform, the data that's collected in that transfers automatically through an API into Site Shepherd, which are the analytical tools that we use, kind of the tools of the trade for site selection. So it has a fatal flaw analysis, it does a weighted comparative scoring, and it also does a cost analysis on investment and operating cost. Um, and we are licensing that to economic development organizations, to corporate do-it-yourselfers, to real estate brokers, other site selectors, because we really want to bring the tools of the trade to, to anybody that's performing the role of a site selector, site selector or a corporate location decision maker. And Didi, you know, you talked a little bit about where South Carolina stands um, in recruitment, but when it comes to the use of technology, what are you finding in, in your professional opinion? Are, are we there? Is there still a lot of trepidation? Uh, are, are people finding you and these resources? I think that, um, so I think that people are finding technological solutions. I mean, we tried to find a technological solution that was off the shelf or something that we could buy and then modify, and we were not able to find it. And so we just decided to create it ourselves. And so what we're hoping is that people will find this and not have to recreate the, the mousetrap. Um, but, you know, site selection, economic development has been one of those industries that really hasn't been transformed at this point, And it's basically a question of scale. So Zillow has transformed residential home buying because there's literally millions of homes that are transacted every year. Um, you know, Amazon and some of the online uh, um, buying because there's so many retail transactions that has been transformed, but just economic development and uh, corporate recruitment, it's just, it's just a smaller industry. But now that the tools and the technology has come down to a cost point that it's feasible to address these issues, even though they aren't as a large scale, it's making it possible to do this. And what is y'all's mousetrap? What does your software have that nobody else has? The software has the ability, so there are other benchmarking softwares where you can compare locations but they have preset locations, preset criteria, preset scoring scales. You basically can just adjust the weights. Whereas for ours, all of that is, is totally flexible. Um, so for an experienced site selector, they can build their own model. And then for a corporate do-it-yourselfer who doesn't really know what he should be, he or she should be analyzing, the software comes with templates that uh, are either specific to their industry or general sort of heavy industrial manufacturing, for example, or warehouse and distribution, so that they have a basis to start with. And then they can go out and get the data from communities, from their own data sources in order to put into that and really help understand, I mean, the Ultimately, what we're trying to do is help companies understand the trade-off between cost and quality. So everybody wants the highest quality and they want it at the lowest cost possible. I mean, that's what my dad always told me. I had champagne taste on a beer budget. Um, <laughs> this software really helps companies understand what are the locations that optimize on both cost and quality and to the extent that there's trade-offs, what are those trade-offs so that they can make the decision that's best for them. Didi, we're running out of time. Uh, before we let you go, one parting thought for listeners and viewers, 
something uh, that could help them out or at least get them focused as they move forward this year? Well, I think it's just a scary time, right? There's a lot of change. And, um, you know, last year when, when the pandemic hit, I sent, I sent everybody home and I said, you know, buckle up. I have no idea. I started my business in 2008 and that was terrible timing. <laughs> so I had no idea what to expect, but I really do believe that the fundamentals of the economy are strong, particularly for the United States. I think there's going to be a lot of supply chain reorganization that's going to lead to projects here in the U.S. So just Focus on the fundamentals. Don't shy away from taking risk when it comes to developing your workforce and developing your inventory, your sites and buildings. And if you do that, then I think you'll be successful. Dee Caldwell is president and founding principal at Global Location Strategies. Dee we appreciate your time and your expertise today. Thank you so much. It was great seeing you. Great seeing you as well. And thank you for watching or listening to The Buzz. If you haven't checked out some of our previous podcasts, please do. And make sure you like us on all of our social media channels. We appreciate your time and stay healthy and safe out there. We'll see you next time on The Buzz.